Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers, and welcome to a bonus episode. If you're listening to this when it releases, it's a Tuesday, and I don't typically release episodes on Tuesdays, but today I am. So I'm releasing episode 14 of season four on a Tuesday because I want to get an extra episode in this week. And that is because this month, May, is Mental Health Awareness Month. And this conversation I have to share with you today is just perfect for this month. And it's also about a book that released very recently. So I want you to be able to grab this book while it's new, because I also enjoyed the book a lot. I'm not going to tell you exactly how much. In order to hear that, you'll have to go join my Patreon community and watch my book review videos, which all my patrons at of a certain level have access to. So you can check out my Patreon community at patreon.com slash Allison Treat. Allison has one L, so it's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T. Speaking of helping the show, if you're enjoying Historical Fiction Unpacked, make sure that you are following us or subscribed, whatever your um, platform that you use calls it. And then also rate and review the show that will help other lovers of historical fiction to find the show. And then you can also join our Facebook group on Facebook and you can follow the show on Instagram. Lots of ways to keep in touch with us and to find out about new episodes, and to join in the discussion about each show. So today, I am sharing a conversation with Jenner Trump. Um, She wrote an amazing debut novel called Shadows in the Mind's Eye. And this novel released um, April 19th, and um, it deals with PTSD of a soldier who's coming home from World War II. I don't want to go too much into it, but I'm just giving you a little bit of background and explaining why I'm releasing it for Mental Health Awareness Month. Because, um, And also to give you a little bit of a warning, because both Janair and I get emotional in this episode. I don't think it's possible to discuss the topics we discuss without getting a little choked up. And you'll hear these perhaps long spaces of time where Janair is talking and I'm not really saying anything. And that's because I'm trying to gain control of my voice. So with that said, don't be scared away though. This conversation is so good. You're going to love it. That's just a little tiny bit of it that we got emotional. Um, Because when you're talking about PTSD and the things that trigger that, it can be a little emotional. So my friends, please tune into this conversation. You will not regret it. Without further ado, here is Janair Trump. Janair, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to talk to everybody today. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you because I'm reading your novel, Shadows in the Mind's Eye, which releases April 19th. Um, It's described as a deliciously eerie Hitchcockian story. (laughs) Can you tell me about this book? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So this is a just post-World War II book, and it's a story about a guy coming back from the Pacific Theater. And he has, we would call it now, we would call it PTSD, but back in the day, they called it battle fatigue, like he just needs a good nap. Um, (laughs) And he comes (laughs) home, right? He comes home to the Washita Mountains in Arkansas to his really young family. 
And he starts seeing things up in the mountains. And Hot Springs, where it's located, was a bed of mob activity in that time period. And so legitimately, Mm. there may very well have been things going on up in the hills, but nobody else is seeing things. And Sam is just off his rocker (laughs) in some ways. And you're not quite sure if there's actually something dangerous going on up in the mountains or if Sam is actually the one that is dangerous to his family. Right. Um, I'm about halfway through this novel and I'm absolutely loving it. I am just riveted (laughs) and enjoying it so much. Um, What inspired, yeah. (laughs) What inspired you to write this? So uh, it's kind of a weird long story to a certain extent. The funny thing is, is I, I'm a historical writer who mm-hmm. until college, I didn't really care for history. <laughs> and you kind of go, what? So if you think about how we're taught history, it's often mm-hmm. timelines and memorizing these boring facts and figures. And that's not what history is. No. So my U.S. history prof in college sent us all out. We had to talk to a friend or family member about World War II and or the Depression. So mm. my grandparents lived like an hour and a half from where I went to school. And they were some of my favorite people in the whole wide world. And for whatever reason, I had never talked to them about World War II or going through Mm. the depression. And so I sat down with them on their front porch with a glass of lemonade and my grandma made the best lemonade in the world. (sighs) Let me just tell you, there's something about their water or whatever. I don't know, but they told me stories of their life and it started this whole thing. So I, I called my grandmother, um, every month, or so, and just talk to her about her growing up and her time when my grandfather was in the military overseas. And it created a bond between the two of us. And I got to the point, it was, it was beautiful. I'm so glad that it happened. Um, But it got to the point where I started thinking, my grandparents have this amazing marriage. They have this amazing marriage. Mm. Picking up little bits and pieces and hints, my grandfather had PTSD coming back from the world. Mm, yeah. I just thought, how in the world do you survive that level of PTSD and come out okay on the other side? And so I decided that I wanted to explore that question in a book. And um, I have PTSD to a certain extent. With It's not battlefield PTSD. I have um, some trauma in my childhood. And then my daughter, who is okay now, um, but about four years ago, uh, we almost lost her a couple of times. So I had oh my goodness. caretaker PTSD. Um, and so this book, actually, I wrote this book. I started it, and then my daughter got sick, and I set it aside, and I finished it after she was the last time she was in the hospital. She was in and out, I think, eight times. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And she's, like I said, she's good. She's you would not know to look at her that she had anything wrong. Um, mm-hmm. She's a walking miracle, frankly. Um, wow. But so this book was all of these combinations of um, wanting to explore PTSD and how we get to the other side of it and how we create a strong marriage and how you get love that endures through hard things 
and you get to the other side and you don't resent the other person. (laughs) Um, Right. So frequently the case, you know? Um, And so that's kind of the, was the little spark for the story. Um, And then of course the location is a whole nother story. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Tell me more about the location. Yeah. So the location, it's Hot Springs, Arkansas, which probably most people have never heard of. Right. I had not heard of it. I actually looked it up to see if it was a real place. So Hot Springs, Arkansas um, was actually home of one of the earliest national parks. So there is a Hot Springs National Park. Really? Yeah. Um, And it's beautiful and it has hot springs um, (laughs) in it. And it's this beautiful lush area. And way back in the early 1900s, people would come to the area to soak in the baths because they thought it was curative, which to some extent it is. Um, And they built all of these hotels and these elaborate baths over um, the stretch of Central Avenue, which is the main street of hot springs. Mm. And people started coming and it became this hub of illegal gambling to the point where just during the war and post-World War, it was the largest illegal gambling site in the nation. Wow. Right? And you have mobsters coming in from New York and Chicago. I mean, Al Capone has a, had a whole floor in one of the hotels that he regularly stayed at. Oh, my goodness. And they would stay right next door to Babe Ruth and all of the famous athletes because the athletes were coming down to train in Hot Springs, Arkansas. So um, it was this very strange mix of places. And <laughs> how I found it was one of my really good friends. Her name is Sarah DeMay. And Sarah's family is from Arkansas. And so I was looking for a small town and I was talking to her about it. And she says to me, she's like, I've got this whole family history. Do you want to look at it? Maybe you'll find a place in there. (laughs) And as a historical lover, I'm like a whole book of family stories. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So that's where I discovered not only Hot Springs, Arkansas, but probably one of my favorite characters that I have ever written, and mm-hmm. Dovey May. So Dovey is yeah. actually patterned a little bit after Sarah's grandmother. Okay. So it was just a. I love Dovey May too. I love by her. the way, she's so <laughs> she's so witty and like she does not take crap from nobody. <laughs> no. And there was this one point, I, I passed this one point in the book. I don't want to um, mm. give away spoilers, but I, I was actually very concerned for a little bit like mm. that things were going to be bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I wasn't sure how I would handle that because I love Dovey May. So. Yes. And I will say my books for anybody who is like, Oh, I don't know if I can handle you like creepy books. My books always end in hope. That is one thing that I will, I will stand for because I mean, goodness, I just told you my daughter almost died. (laughs) Yes. You know, I mean, she was, Uh, she should not have survived and she should not have survived twice. Um, And you know what? I don't have control over what happens Mm -hmm. right now. I don't. I don't have control. But I know long-term that things are going to be okay. We're promised things are going to be okay. 
Mm-hmm. And so I stand on that and I find ways to create hope. And one of the one of the things that I focus on, it's like my tagline even, is celebrating beauty, even when it isn't pretty. Yeah. You know? Because there's beauty to be found everywhere. Even in the coldest, darkest places, there are good mm. things. And I have learned um, kind of through survival mode, <laughs> if I'm being <laughs> honest, um, that that's where you go, you know, to find a place where you can stand and there's firm footing in that. Um, and Shadows in the Mind's Eye is all about Sam having something that he thought was going to happen when he came home. And Annie, his wife, thought that life was just going to go back to normal and it was going to be good. And that's what they had in their mind's eye. And that's what they pictured. But this Mm -hmm. shadow comes over top of it and um, obscures what they expected. And without giving, I'm trying to, I'm trying to phrase things. So I'm not giving away the end. Um, Right. But yeah, please, please don't. Cause I'm not there yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So even, even when we experience hard times, we hit things that we don't expect, but just because we don't expect them, it feels bad. And trust me, I would never never want my daughter or I to go through what we went through again. Mm -hmm. But even though it wasn't what we expected, there's good coming out of it on this side. Mm -hmm. And that's what you have to focus on. And that's kind of where I land with my books too, is we're going to talk about real stuff. We're going to talk about that not pretty. (laughs) Yeah. But we're going to talk about the beauty too. And so for anybody that's like hesitant, it's the reason I call it deliciously creepy is it's not, it's intriguey, not like vampire. Right. <laughs> creepy. I yeah. I, ha- I wouldn't say it's scary. No. The, I mean, the first, you know, the first couple chapters, I was a little bit on the edge of my seat. Like, oh my gosh, what, what exactly is going to happen here? But um <laughs> You have but to then establish that there's a question of his sanity. <laughs> Come on, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But I will say, Sam is um, patterned in a lot of ways after my grandfather. And my grandfather was one of the best men I ever knew. And mm. and I spent summers with my grandparents. Um, and so yeah. I was there for a lot of it. So that's not a, you know, gilded edged view of my grandfather <laughs> either. Um, right. You know, um, and he's the so same as a good man. And he is trying really, really hard um, to be what his family needs. Mm-hmm. And the people in his life do an amazing job of supporting him in that and recognizing that desire in him and giving him the space to be able to do that. Yes. Yeah. And I love how his mother just believes in him so much and reminds him that he's a good man. And I feel like that just like helps him be a good man. (laughs) Absolutely. Isn't that true though? Like you have people in your life that expect you to do something. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> kind of prods you on to actually like do that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. 
So in our current day, we're very aware of what PTSD is and we talk about it a lot. And, um, you know, we know that it's very prevalent among men and women who've been in the military. Yes. But what was known back then, you mentioned that it was called battle fatigue, but what were the views on it um, after World War Two? So um, by World War II, um, people were recognizing that it wasn't a character flaw. Um, so coming mm-hmm. out of World War One, everybody assumed that anybody that had um, PTSD-like symptoms they kind of assumed that there was something wrong with them, that they were, there was a flaw in their character that left them open to um, succumbing to this fear. Um, this, yeah. I almost said irrational, but it's a very rational fear. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a very rational fear. Um, and so, the, but by World War II, they had discovered that it really wasn't a character flaw per se, um, but they didn't have a lot of explanation for how it happened, why it happened, and they had very little treatments for it. And the treatments were not awesome. I mean, it, it was electric shock therapy, and it, mm. there is some benefit to that, um, which I know is crazy to our modern minds, but there is, right. there is some... How does that work exactly? If you're saying there's benefit to it, I guess you've looked like researched it a little bit. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like a jump start to the brain. Um, okay. That's, it affects the brain, right? Yeah. So does um, it work on like the synapses and, and kind of those neural pathways? A, a little bit. And I don't okay. completely understand the science behind it. Um, just cause I, I've studied it as a writer and a layperson, and not as a right. Writer. Um, but again, I mean, if, if, if somebody was coming to me and saying, Oh, we could either, you know, give your family member medicine and therapy, or we could give them electroshock therapy. <laughs> you know which one I'm going to choose, right? Right. So, while there is benefit, there's a lot of detractions for it. Mm, um, yeah. And so I obviously didn't want to take Sam there. Um, but the interesting thing is, is that the way our bodies are put together, um, EMDR is right now proving to be one of the most effective ways of treating PTSD. And EMDR, I don't even, I can't even tell you what the the letters stand for. It's eye okay. movement, something, something. Um, oh yeah, I've heard of it's that. Bilateral stimulation. So bilateral is each side, and it's alternating, mm-hmm. and it's stimulating those two sides of your body alternating. So things like, you know, if you have anxiety, people tell you to go take a walk, right? Mm-hmm. What is walking but bilateral movement of your legs? Yeah. Right? So um, there are things that are as simple as that. And in fact, the creator of EMDR, that's how she started her study, like it, that's how she got her idea for studying was she was literally out walking and realizing mm-hmm. the effect. And so then she started purposeful study of it and discovered that EMDR can help PTSD. And it's one of the few treatments that help battlefield PTSD. So wow. I'm a PTSD and battlefield PTSD. While they have some of a lot of the same symptoms, it is, um, Battlefield um, PTSD is often much more difficult to treat, mm. which is 
there's a whole book. Uh, it's called The Body Keeps the Score. If y'all are interested yes. in the science behind what happens with trauma and battlefield um, PTSD, that book is phenomenal. And it is written for therapists, uh, but it's written in a way that's very understandable to the common person. Uh, right. And I will say, if you are struggling with PTSD and that type of a thing, uh, the Body Keeps the Score is fantastic. One of the books that was super helpful to me um, after I read The Body Keeps the Score is a book called Try Softer, and it's by Andy Kolber. Um, and this book takes a lot of the research that was the basis for The Body Keeps the Score and gives you actual hands-on techniques for dealing with anxiety, depression, and PTSD. Wow. It's fantastic. So you'll see actually in Shadows in the Mind's Eye, you will see some of the techniques. Sam uses some of the techniques that I use today to deal with my anxiety or when my PTSD kicks off. So a couple of weeks ago, this is the weirdest story. A couple of weeks ago, my son <laughs> um, asked me to help him get like the sticky residue that's left over on glass sometimes when you peel a sticker off, you know, and yeah. you use isopropyl alcohol to get it off. Mm -hmm. I opened up the isopropyl alcohol and my body went into full panic attack. Oh, yeah. And it's the smell of the alcohol mm -hmm. um, from going through everything in the hospital. So I immediately set the bottle down. And because I've had enough panic attacks, I knew what was happening. And I went straight right. into those techniques. And so those techniques, so things like um, when you're in an anxiety attack, you look for five things you can see, four things you can touch, three things you can hear, two things you can taste, um, one mm. thing you can smell, you know, whatever it is to like ground yourself immediately, taking um, deep breaths, um, moving away from the thing <laughs> that set off your panic attack. I mean, there right. are very concrete things you can do and you'll see those showing up. In Shadows in the Mind's Eye, um, just I gave the characters different people that spoke into their lives to give them the tools to work with to deal with the PTSD. Because it was very important to me. Again, I wanted, I wanted to see the hope on the other side. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, so it's just it's fascinating, but also just that you worked that into the book. It was important for me that I wanted it to be real. Um, mm -hmm. And there, like I said, there was no medicine in post-World War II um, to help people. Um, I have a friend who says, um, I, I need Jesus and sometimes I need drugs too. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> and um, Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? Like there's there's a place for for, you know, I can do it myself and there's a place for drugs. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I wanted people to know that there was hope. That mm -hmm. No matter what you're dealing with, there is hope. Um, and that was a super important thing for me to, to have on the other side um, of this. Partly, I think, <laughs> unconsciously, <laughs> somebody asked me the other day about um, you know, why do I always want hope? And I'm like, partly it's because I want to have hope. Yes. 
you know? Um, so right. partly finding that hope is a way for me to confirm to myself that it's possible. Um, and mm-hmm. keep moving toward that hope. Um, I kind of fly by mentioned that I had childhood trauma and there was a point in my life where I was suicidal. And so Mm -hmm. I don't ever want to go back there. I don't ever want to get to the point where I don't see hope so much so that I just want everything to be done. Yeah. I don't want that for anybody else, even my characters. (laughs) Right. Oh yeah. Um, so I did want to get to this question um, because your book includes a lot of discussion about the nature of evil and the character of God. Um, the characters acknowledge that God doesn't stop bad things from happening, but how do they reconcile the hurt and the pain in their lives with the concept of a loving God? Um, so here's the thing. <laughs> there is a point where you just have to trust in it. Um, and there, and it is still a concept that I struggle with today. I mean, I look back and I think, oh my word, how could God have let this happen to my girl? Um, I tell the story that about a month before my daughter collapsed at school, I had prayed to ask God to show me that he loved me. Mm. Um, Gosh, I don't know if I can do this without crying. <laughs> um, it's okay. I've <laughs> cried on here too. So, <laughs> so, um, and to me, the initially the response of God allowing my daughter to almost die multiple times and to go through hell on earth, and I do not say that lightly. It was, it was awful. Um, in fact, she was suicidal at some point because she was in so much pain that the meds that they were giving her, I mean, she was on a morphine pump and she still was in pain and there was nothing more they could do. Um, and you look at that and you say, that was God, that was your response to show me you love me. Like, really? (laughs) How is that showing me that you love me? Um, And so it goes back a little bit to those expectations. So I expected, you know, um, bunnies and sunshine and flowers. (laughs) (laughs) And what I got was a kid who by all rights should have died and didn't. Mm. And so God did show me that he loved me because he, (laughs) he saved my daughter. Yeah. You know? Um, and it turns out different for everybody. My girl, um, could have died and I will never unknow that knowledge that Mm -hmm. I have no control over whether my kids come home tonight or not. Um, but because of everything that my girl went through, she's 16 now, (laughs) (laughs) And um, everything that everybody has said about their teenage daughters, do I get a little bit of it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But there's a closeness that she and I have that would never have been there otherwise. Um, And she trusts me in a way that most teenage girls don't trust their moms. 
And I don't, I don't take that for granted. Um, right. And again, I would never wish her to go through those things again. But instead of focusing on those things, and that's kind of what the characters start doing, is instead of focusing on all of the negative things, they start looking at the good things that they have. Um, and even, you know, popular psychology tells us that counting your blessings and not focusing on the problems are huge. That's a huge benefit um, to our mental stability. Um, and so that's kind of where both the characters and I have come to is we're never promised an easy life. We're never promised those bunnies and sunshines and flowers. Um, and what you choose to focus on in this life is what you're going to get. So if you choose to focus on my kid, almost my kid almost died. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what you're going to see. And for, I'll tell you what, there was a long period there where I couldn't pray and that's okay. Right. That right. absolutely a hundred percent. Okay. Um, and there's sometimes where I'm still angry or sad, but instead of turning and looking at what happens, I turn and I, <laughs> I tell people, if you're yelling at God, you're still talking to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, think about that for a second. The, the point where there's a complete break is not when you're yelling at somebody. It's when you walk away in silence. Mm-hmm. Um, and God asks us to come to him and complain to him and, and, and tell him when we're upset because then he can have a conversation. Um, and sometimes it takes you a while to get to that conversation part. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And, but that's okay too, you know? Um, and if that's all anybody takes from listening to us chat here, then I, my work here is done. Uh, <laughs> that it's okay where you are. Wherever you are, it's okay. It's absolutely It is. Okay. Yeah. You take four steps backward, three, or four steps forward, three backwards, sometimes five backward. <laughs> <laughs> then you turn around the next day and take two steps forward, you know? Um, yeah. And so don't necessarily look at where you are today and say, I wish I was somewhere else. Look at where you are today and say, Am I in a better place than I was a year ago, two years ago? Um, and so for me, that is has been something that has been really um, helpful uh, is to take those steps back. And I do this every year now. I take a step back at the beginning of the school year because that's kind of like my new chapter. <laughs> when my yeah. kids go to school again, I have a little bit more time and I'll sit down and I'll go through my journal from the year before and kind of see the patterns that were there um, and process through those and take that into the next year. Um, and that's been something that's been really affirming to me that I'm making progress. And mm-hmm. the very last... Um, chapter in Shadows in the Mind's Eye is the characters doing pretty much that. They don't write it down. (laughs) They're looking back over everything and they're saying, here's where we saw progress. And it's 
much more beautifully written than that, y'all. <laughs> Trust. <laughs> um, but they're they're seeing where the shadows came in and then where they came out on the other side. Yeah. Well, um, oh, there's so I feel like I could talk with you about <laughs> all of that for a long time because I'm coming up on four months right now since my sister passed, and um, I just think of those early days mm-hmm. and I do see how God has walked me to where I am now. And it's so much more hopeful and knowing his love than I did at first. So absolutely. See, it's okay to cry on here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we both did it. Cause that makes me, no, it doesn't. Uh, Cause if that meant you were crying, <laughs> that makes me feel a little better, but. I yes. I am so sorry for your loss, Allison, too. Oh. And thank I, you. It's and this is this is why I write though. Mm-hmm. I write to find the truth for myself. And yes. Even even those hard truths. Um, and then there's something about story that is so powerful in communicating those truths because it hits a part of us. There's there's all kinds of science on it. Can you tell I'm interested in neuroscience? <laughs> there's all kinds of science on how story affects your brain and how it's so much more effective a communicator than facts and figures. Right. And so I take all of these, these hard truths that I've been forced to walk or that I'm dealing with and struggling with um, in the here and now um, because I am by no means perfect and I am by no means walking, you know, with those, I, I'm going to say bunnies, sunshine and flowers forever <laughs> for our men now. Um, I don't, I don't have bunnies in my life. I have sunshine in my life and I have flowers, but I don't have bunnies. Um, <laughs> I have cats that break things instead. Um, oh. <laughs> but um, that is why I am here, um, is to find those truths and to communicate right. them in a way that can affect others for the good. Right. Even while I get to entertain them, it's a fabulous job. <laughs> right. It's amazing. So I want to ask you just kind of to give me a quick um, explanation of how you went from being, because you work as an editor. Mm-hmm. I think you've worked with a marketing yeah. department in, in publishing. And now as an, this is your first, your debut novel. I know you've written novellas and children's books. But how did you get to this point of releasing a novel? How how did what was that process like? <laughs> um so it actually is pretty similar to a lot of uh novelists journeys. Um I well I started writing kids books when my kids were little and those were kind of published accidentally if that's a way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was at Can I do that? How does that no, happen? Hey. So I had been running the marketing department um, for Kriegel Publications, and Mm -hmm. I found out I was pregnant, and my job as the uh, marketing director, it was a huge job. And I just looked at my life, and I said, for me, I don't want to work full-time. 
um, and I would love to work from home. And my degree is English. So I had Mm -hmm. been freelancing acquisitions for the editorial department for several years. And so I just asked the editorial team, I'm like, can I keep doing what I'm doing for you guys, but like pick up a few more hours and do it from home and be an official employee for you guys? And they were like, oh, yes, please. And so um, then I wrote the, I was taking pictures of, animals for my daughter. And that became um, the All About God's Animals series. Um, Mm -hmm. And that they're just picture books. So, um, and then I took a break from writing because I could either edit or I could write and I didn't have the time to do both. Right. And so my kids um, were getting older and I, I, my husband was talking and I were talking about job things and I jokingly say, well, said, well, when I become a bestselling author, then you can quit your job. And he says, well, why aren't you writing? (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. And so he really was the one that encouraged me to start writing. And that was probably um, seven, maybe eight years ago. And so I wrote Mm -hmm. a whole novel that is not published. Nobody wanted it <laughs> because I never do things the easy way and it takes place overseas. And um, at that time, nobody really wanted to do any books overseas and that's changing. So oh. that book may actually be coming out as my second book. I don't know yet. Um, wow. But so then I was like, okay, I need to set that one aside and write another book. And so I started writing Shadows in the Mind's Eye. And then, of course, my daughter got sick. And then I set it aside. <laughs> and then I picked it right. back up again and finished it. Um, so I have been writing for seven or eight years. Um, and my first book is coming out. Um, yeah. You know, and so I think that that waiting period. Um, and developing is pretty darn normal for authors. Um, And I'm even coming from it. I'm a developmental editor. So I rewrite other people's books. Like that's Mm -hmm. my job. Um, And so even for somebody like me, there was a learning curve because it's different to edit a book (laughs) than to write a book. Huh. Um, So it has been a wonderful journey. And very weird all at the same time. Um, Did not meet expectations in some ways and is in other ways. Um, And I I have tried to explain it to some people and they just kind of look at me like I have four heads. Um, But having a book out in the world is the most incredible and terrifying (laughs) experience. (laughs) Yes. You know, it's like a little piece of me that I'm handing to all of these people to either love or beat the snot out of. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I say that and I'm laughing because I know my book isn't going to be for everybody and that's okay. If you don't like my book, I will still love you. I promise. (laughs) <laughs> but I don't I don't know how anyone could not like it. So <laughs> I'm sure there are people that won't. And that's okay. Um, but it is like that bracing myself for that moment. Um, because I am a right. total people pleaser. Total people pleaser. Yeah. So that that is gonna be a hard moment for me when I start right. getting those negative reviews. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, well, this is a question I ask all my guests. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? And I know you talked a little bit about how how important story is for not just learning history, but how how we learn and how things kind of are uh, like incorporated into our our thoughts and our lives and our minds. Absolutely. So yeah, we did talk about it a little bit, but history in specific. Um, so I and I mentioned too that I was not into history until college. And then I was an yeah. English major and tutored U.S. American history for three years, um, which is very <laughs> amusing to me. Um, but I loved it that much that yeah. it just became, they asked me to do it because they saw that passion. But history is so important. I mean, the cliche is learn your history so you don't repeat the past. Right. But really, Learn from history, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Things have happened. If you can learn from those, then, hey, we don't have to deal with those problems now, or we can at least attempt a different way about it. I think it was Einstein that said that insanity, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Yes. Yes, that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. But there's no way. Stop it. Stop it out, people. But there's no way we can learn from history if we don't know the stories. Right. Right. Yeah. And so a lot of what I do is I take little bits of history and um, use it. In, and, I, and I didn't follow strictly history in Shadows in the Mind's Eye, but there are pieces of real history in there. The mayor just that is um, in Shadows in the Mind's Eye is the mayor, is the true historical mayor <laughs> that sanctioned all of this. And he took wow. his horses, scotch and soda, every day for a one-person <laughs> parade down the main streets of of Hot Springs, and he had a red carnation, and he thought he was all of that and a bag of chips. Yeah. And it, we see through him how power corrupts, um, and that eventually he was taken down by people who went away to fight a war and then came back and said, this is not what I fought for. Um, mm-hmm. And so just that check of you know, are we, are we living the life that people have fought and died for, you know, our veterans, you know, is that how, what I am contributing to society worth somebody's death, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and just that heart check. So it's even little things like that, that popped up for me um, as I was writing and researching. And that happens in every historical story. You know, in every right. little bit of history, there is something um, about what happened that can change and affect us today. And like I said, I would rather read somebody else's experience and learn from it and either do what they did or not do what they did yeah. to avoid the consequences today. And I hope that there are people out there that maybe don't love history. Um, although I don't know why they'd be listening to this podcast, but you know, <laughs> if you randomly hit this, um, because you're interested in PTSD or whatever, uh, right. And you don't know a lot about history. Go find somebody that tells history. Well, yes, because history is story and history is 
interesting and engaging. It is. Um, and I tell my kids a lot because they're all like, oh, history is boring. And I'm like, well, you're not doing it right then. Right. <laughs> you're not doing it right because there is all sorts of intrigue and crazy stuff that happened in history. Yes. And um, so I encourage you to go find somebody that tells history well and go check it out and listen to it. Yes, I second that. So, Janie, this has been a wonderful conversation. What is the best way for listeners to follow you? So, here's the lovely thing about having an unusual name. As long as you can <laughs> spell my name, you can find me because I'm the same everywhere. So, I'm Janere Trump everywhere. And it's J-A-N-Y-R-E-T-R-O-M-P. And it's .com. That's my website. But that is, Janere Trump is my handle for Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And I'm even on TikTok. <laughs> I'm learning TikTok <laughs> right now um, just for wow. fun. Um, but Instagram is my happy happy place. Um, I talk about mm-hmm. books and nature. And I have cats that do crazy things, y'all. <laughs> I have one cat, his name is Brave, and he figured out how to jump on the top of a door. And I have oh my a picture goodness. of him literally standing on like the little tiny beam of the top of a door. I don't know how he got up there. I, <sighs> Lord knows. Um, and then if you're a writer, I do a lot of writer tips and interactions on Twitter. So you can hang out with me in all of those places. And if you sign up for my newsletter, um, I am giving away a free novella called Wide Open. And you can access that on my website. Great. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me on, Allison. It was wonderful chatting with you. So my friends, do you see why I said, make sure you listen, do not miss this one. It's so good. There's so much information about anxiety and panic attacks and PTSD. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed speaking with Janaire. As usual, let me encourage you to check out the show notes, either in whatever platform you use to listen to this podcast or online at alisontreat.com slash B-L-O-G. There you will find links to Jan Eyre's book and to her social media accounts and also to the my social media accounts and ways that you can keep in touch with the show and join our Patreon. Well, my friends, as usual, again, I am going to leave you with a quote. And this one comes from author Diana Gabaldon. Shell shock, they said in the First World War. Battle fatigue in the second. It's what happens when you live through things you shouldn't have been able to live through and can't reconcile that knowledge with the fact that you did. So my friends, may you find the strength to reconcile the fact that you lived through those things. And may you keep reading historical fiction. I'll talk to you again on Thursday. <laughs>